listening to Brains On! Where we're serious about being curious. Brains On is supported in part by a grant from the National Science Foundation. Crow, Crow, get over here. Look, between the mailbox and the tree. See the big human? It's holding a tiny human. Oh, whoa, a hairless human young. Great eye, my goldfinch pal. I've had the HHY on my to spot list forever. This is so exciting. I bet it just hatched. Let's sing Happy Hatch Day. I don't think humans hatch, Goldie. Anyway, don't forget, we're here to see small pants runners. Our human guide says early morning is the best time to spot SPRs. Oh, right. My eyes are peeled for prancing humans. Hmm. That one over there is looking at one of those shiny rectangles humans just seem to love. Ah, a zoned out phoner. We crossed the Z.O.P. off our list the first day we started humaning. That was such a good day. Remember we saw that neat bill-headed ball player and the super rare mellow blanket sitter? We definitely got off to a good start on our to spot list. But I don't think I'll feel like a real humaner until we spot an SPR. <gasps> wow! Look! Our first small pants runner! See? And the pants are small and purple! This is more than another human off my list! This is... a dream come true! Oh! Just marvelous! Wow! Honestly, Crow, you're right. I do think our human watching just reached a new level! What a great day to be a humaner! Oh, let's go spot some more! You're listening to Brains On from American Public Media. I'm Molly Bloom, and this episode is a bird bonanza. We've asked two avian all-stars to help us answer all kinds of bird questions, and I'm going to give them a couple of most valuable birder intros. From Georgia Southern University, our first bird biologist is now in the nest. I mean studio. Please welcome Karina Newsom. Thank you so much for having me. It's exciting to be here. And from Clemson University, put your talents together. I mean, put your hands together for our second ornithologist, Drew Lanham. Thank you, Molly. Great to be here talking birds today. Well, I hope you are both feeling ready to tackle all kinds of bird facts because Brains On listeners have a lot of questions about these fascinating creatures. But first, Drew and Karina, I want to know what got you interested in studying birds? So for a long time, I've been interested in wildlife, but I never really paid much attention to birds, certainly not the birds where I lived. I grew up in Philadelphia, and we only had a few of the really common city birds like pigeons, house sparrows, and starlings. It wasn't until ornithology, which is the study of birds, a class I took in college, that I ever began to pay attention. And the blue jay was actually the first bird that I ever learned. And since that moment, when I realized blue jays have been around the whole time and they're so brilliant in color and I never noticed them, the world became an adventure scape. And since then, I have been a crazy bird woman. (laughs) 
<laughs> that is so cool. And how about you, Drew? How did you get interested in birds? As a kid, I would watch birds fly. I would watch red-tailed hawks trace lazy circles in the sky. And I wanted to be up there in the clouds with them. So, Drew, if you could be any bird for a day and their amazing flight abilities, which one would you choose? Wow. I think I'd be a bobwhite quail. That's the bird I grew up with, you know, and they were all over our farm and they had these very familiar calls, this lovely little... Very cool. So, Karina, as someone who is a bird spotter now, how do you go about spotting birds in the wild? What tips do you have for us to sort of open our eyes to all those birds that are out there? So first I sit still to see if I can find any movement, but um, of course I turn my ears on to see if I hear anything, um, because especially depending on the season, you might be in a time of the year when lots of birds are singing. If I can hear that, I can identify a bird just by the sound that it's making, and I don't even have to find it, although I do always finish the chase and look for it with my eyes as well. So do you need special gear to spot them, or can you just do it just with your eyes and your ears? Well, having binoculars is very important for getting a good visual look at the bird that you're seeking. But if you just want to use your ears, ears are certainly enough. Well, that is great because bird songs are one of our first things our listeners are curious about. This question comes to us from Micah. Why do birds sing their songs? Most commonly, you'll hear birds singing when they are trying to attract a mate. So when a bird sings nearby, and it's typically a a male bird that will sing, uh, nearby females will key in on that song. They recognize the songs of other members of their species. And that song is there to let females know, hey, I'm here and I'm available and I have a territory available for you to build a nest and for us to raise a family. Um, And one of my favorite territorial birds is the red-winged blackbird, which has a very distinctive song that it sings, and it kind of marks the beginning of spring for me and for many others in the United States. And Drew, any other bird songs you want to point out? Carolina wrens, both the males and the females, will actually sing. They are paired, um, or so we think, for a good portion of the year in these relatively small territories. So space the size of a backyard, and they're calling and singing to one another. But they have so many variations on their songs. Listening to bird song is, man, it's like constantly solving a puzzle. So that's a good segue into a question Fiona wondered about. Can birds of different species intercommunicate? So is there a specific situation where different bird species might eavesdrop on each other or communicate? There's something really sort of, uh, I don't know, strange that you may see birders do. It's something that we call pishing and spishing. Hey, hey, hear that? Oh! Probably just one of those human bird watchers hoping we'll come out so it can see us. It's so meta. We're imitating tufted titmice and um, Carolina chickadees. And those calls, 
when we make them as birders, not only attract the kinds of birds that might make them, but they also arouse the curiosity of other species. And titmice and chickadees will travel around this time of year with birds like ruby-crowned and golden-crowned kinglets. Maybe there is a blue-headed vireo mixed in. Maybe yellow-rumped warblers are there. Not only are other kinds of birds, other bird species, responding to those calls, but other kinds of animals like mammals are even keyed into the alarm calls of birds. And so squirrels, when they hear, for example, the alarm call of a tufted titmouse, will run for cover. We're learning every day just how complex bird language is not only within a species, so crows talking to crows, but maybe crows telling the red-tailed hawk, you know, buddy, it's time to leave the hood. It's time time (laughs) for you to go because we don't like you being here. That is awesome. It's so cool that all this communication is happening and so many of us don't even realize it. Next, we have a different kind of question for you, too. So a listener sent us this sound, and we're going to ask you two to try to figure out what it is. So here is the sound. Okay, it's a short one, so let's hear it again. What are your guesses? So I used to work with a bunch of different kinds of birds as a zookeeper. One of them was a kookaburra, Mm. and I could be totally off base here, but they'll shake their head back and forth, and it clacks their beak around. And it sounds a little like that, but if it's from North America, it is definitely not a kookaburra. (laughs) Drew, do you have any thought about what it might be? You know, it sounds very flappy Mm -hmm. and almost like um, something like a a double-crested cormorant might do and sort of resettling its feathers after they've been ruffled from a swim or from flying. So I'm going to go with flappy or flapping wings. Excellent guesses. We're going to listen to it again a little bit later and have one more chance to guess before we hear the answer. All right. So let's talk a little bit about how birds live. Isaac and Margaret wonder... How are birds born? Mother birds are able to make eggs inside of their body that are fertilized by the male, um, and she builds those eggs using a whole lot of calcium. The female will incubate the eggs. Incubation means that the mother, sometimes the mother and the father, but the parents will sit on top of the eggs, and they have something called a brood patch, which is essentially an open area of skin that is very warm to help the babies stay at a good healthy temperature as they're developing. And once those eggs are fully developed on the inside and the chicks are ready to hatch, um, they've got a little tiny what's called egg tooth on their beak oftentimes that allows them to pierce through the egg and emerge from the shell. And I mentioned that the mother had a very large calcium expense in making those eggs. Well, one of the really cool things that I've been able to see and that other scientists have also documented is that the females will eat the eggs 
to reabsorb that calcium that they lost when they made the eggs. Um, and then incubation doesn't stop. The mother will continue to incubate the chicks as soon as that offspring, as those chicks grow their feathers and are able to leave the nest. It's called fledging. That's essentially when the chicks have, quote unquote, grown up. So our next question is from Carter. Carter wants to know, why is bird poop white? We're going to answer that and more bird questions in just a bit. We're working on a series all about myths, and we want to hear from you. What mythical creature would you most like to hang out with? Now, for me, you know, I know I might get eaten or destroyed by this creature, but I'd probably pick the Sphinx. Not only does it look super cool, it would ask me great riddles, and who doesn't love a good puzzle? Send us your idea at brainson.org slash contact. You can also send in drawings, show suggestions, mystery sounds, and of course, questions. That's how we got this one. How do birds fly? Stay tuned. We'll answer that question at the end of the show. And we'll also hear the latest group to be inducted into the Brains Honor Roll. So keep listening. Talking to your backseat babies about money can be so hard. In fact, you probably don't even know where to start. So that's where the newest version of the Million Bazillion Academy steps in, our email newsletter course. You can start whenever, and you'll get a new lesson each week that you and your kids can complete at your own pace. They'll learn about crypto, the stock market, and so much more. And best of all, it's free. Million Bazillion Academy, making kids smarter about money. Sign up today at marketplace.org academy. Talking to your backseat babies about money can be so hard. In fact, you probably don't even know where to start. So that's where the newest version of the Million Bazillion Academy steps in, our email newsletter course. You can start whenever, and you'll get a new lesson each week that you and your kids can complete at your own pace. They'll learn about crypto, the stock market, and so much more. And best of all, it's free. Million Bazillion Academy, making kids smarter about money. Sign up today at marketplace.org academy. You're listening to Brains On from American Public Media. I'm Karina Newsom. I'm Drew Lanham. And I'm Molly Bloom. Let's get back to that last question. Why is bird poop white? That white portion of the bird poop is, guess what? It is sort of the urine component. But it's urea. Birds poop, but they don't pee. The combination of the fecal matter, that's the dark component, of the bird poop and the white is sort of like, um, you know, a gift all in one. And that comes out of birds because they save weight by not having bladders that humans have and that other taxa have that store urine. So that urine takes up weight, which would make it much more difficult for birds to fly. So efficient. How about this one? Connor wondered... Why can't birds see glass? 
Well, we really can't see glass. I mean, if you've ever walked into a <laughs> sliding have, glass, yes. right? <laughs> so it's it's the, it's the same thing. What helps us to see glass um, are the reflections in it. But we also know that birds, that some birds may have a very different sort of sense of depth perception than we have, and so that may also cause problems. That's something that we can do something about from our homes and providing um, barriers to the glass or sometimes putting things on the glass that helps the birds know that it's there to skyscrapers and turning off lights at night that would confuse birds that would fly into buildings. Definitely good to help the birds. We have a couple more questions for you, but first we'll give you both another chance to figure out what the mystery sound is. Here is a hint this time. It's an animal, but not a bird. And it's an animal that many of us know pretty well. Oh, I know what it is. Yeah. <laughs> go ahead, Karina. You Sounds go like ahead. maybe you both figured it out. <laughs> that is a dog that is either wet or is trying to shake something off of it, and it's flapping its face back and forth, and the ears are clapping against its head. Are you in agreement? I am. I am. That's a very flappy sound. <laughs> yes. Well, you both are right. We got that mystery sound from Yoav in New Zealand. The sound you just heard was my friend's dog flapping his ears. Well done, (laughs) both of you. (laughs) All right, well, next, let's talk feathers and flight. So, Drew, that's what got you into birds. A lot of kids want to know, too. So, Nora would like to know... Why do birds have feathers? Those feathers are a clothing that help us to recognize birds. So that's helpful for us, but what feathers do for birds is first they do clothe them. You know, you have some feathers that are extraordinarily dense, and we call those contour feathers. And those are the feathers that are closest to the body that are often soft and they're sort of fluffy. And so if you think about something like a down jacket that you might have, then those feathers in that coat are performing the same function for you as they would on the goose. Coloration on birds also is communication to other birds. What else are feathers for, Karina? The feathers on the wings of birds, particularly flighted birds, are arranged in such a way that make them really aerodynamic. Um, And so when you think about a bird wing, um, on the inside, the bones, there are a lot of bones which we share with birds, actually, if you were to look at the bones of a bird's wing. Um, But on top of those bones um, are feathers that vary in length, they vary in width. They each play a very important function for allowing that bird to move air over its wing and move through the air. Any specific bird feathers you'd mention? Owls, because they are nighttime hunters and they're, you know, typically hunting creatures that have good senses of hearing, Um, their feathers are structured in such a way that they have fringes on the edges of them so that when they flap their wings, when they fly, it really doesn't make any sound. So for an owl, not only are their feathers adapted to help them fly, they are adapted to help them fly silently. Uh, And before our next question, Harvey. Yes, Molly. Activate game show mode. Sure, Molly. I 
love that part. Okay, here we go. We have a game to play. It's called Real Birds or Just Words. For this game, I'm going to give you three phrases. Two phrases are the names of real birds, but one phrase is just words. We'll read the phrase, then you'll each get to choose your answers. Are you ready for the first round? Yes. Ready. All right. For round one, the phrases are banana quit, apple quit, and orange quit. Which is the just words? The just words are apple quit. I would say apple quit. You are correct. Orange quits sound like this. And banana quits sound like this. An apple quit is just what you do when you take a big bite into a bruised apple. You have to quit that apple. So it's not a real bird. All right. So the next one is Emperor Goose, Powerful Woodpecker, or Prince Jay. Which is not a real bird? Emperor Goose, Powerful Woodpecker, or Prince Jay? Powerful Woodpecker, not a real bird. Drew, what is your guess? I would agree, Powerful Woodpecker. Let's listen to how those guesses turned out. Here is the sound of the Emperor Goose. And this is the sound of a... Powerful Woodpecker. What? What? (laughs) The Prince J is not a real bird. But it would be cool if DJ Prince J could play all the latest hits at your next birthday party, wedding, or snazzy corporate gathering. All right, for our final round, we have mustached swan, mustached flower piercer, and mustached tinkerbird. Which one is not a real bird? Mustached swan mustached flower piercer, or mustached tinkerbird? I'm going to go with mustached swan. I have not heard of mustached swan, but I hadn't heard of powerful woodpecker either, so. (laughs) (laughs) I'll have to agree with him on this one. Here's the mustached flower piercer's call. And the mustached tinkerbird sounds like this. But the mustached swan, good last-minute Halloween costume, but not a bird. It doesn't exist. You are both correct. Thank you for playing Real Birds or Just Words. Okay, we have one final listener question for this Ask a Scientist edition of Brains On. It's about hummingbirds and comes from Kaylin and Hadley. How do hummingbirds hover? So how do hummingbirds stay in one place in the air? Well, one of the hallmark differences between the way a hummingbird is able to move through the air and maybe most other birds that are flighted is really in the pattern of uh, the movement of their wings. Um, And so if you have ever had the opportunity to take a look at a slow motion video of a hummingbird, say, at a flower where it's really trying to stay elevated while staying still at the same time, Um, you'll notice that there is a very clear kind of figure eight pattern when it comes to the movement of their wing. And that kind of helps to keep them in one place while their wings are moving back and forth in this eight shape. Yeah, that figure eight that Karina is talking about, I mean, it takes a lot of energy. So if you've ever treaded water, 
you know, just trying to stay in the same place and just sort of keep your head above water. And that's the closest humans sort of get to hovering in water. So the next time you're out swimming, try that. And you'll get to be a little bit of a hummingbird in water for a little while. Birds sing for a few different reasons. To impress other birds or warn each other of danger. Birds probably understand calls from their own species the best. It does seem like birds can sometimes understand other species' alarm calls. Birds hatch from eggs. Many birds use a sharp bump on their beak called an egg tooth to get out into the world. Birds poop and pee at once. Birds use their feathers to fly, stay warm, and tell other birds about themselves. Hummingbirds stay in the air by swirling their wings back and forth, similar to the way we tread water in the pool. That's it for this episode of Brains On. Brains On is made by Sandon Totten, Mark Sanchez, and me, Molly Bloom. Manika Wilhelm is our very talented fellow, and she produced this bird extravaganza episode. We had engineering help from Veronica Rodriguez, Eric Rogers, Scott Smith, and Eric Romani. We had production support from Elissa Dudley, Rosie DuPont, Christina Lopez, and Ruby Guthrie. Special, special thanks to the Macaulay Library at Cornell University for all of their amazing bird sounds. And before we go... It's time for the moment of... Our names are Aurora and Arlo, and we're from Asheville, North Carolina. How do birds fly? The cool thing about being an ornithologist, about being a bird brain, is that we're constantly learning just how complex some of the behavior and the abilities of birds are. So I like to think about birds as superheroes. There are these little things called vortices, almost like little tornadoes that are created on the surface of the wing that create something pretty complex called pressure differential. But really what it is, is it's just sort of this sucking <laughs> that that helps a wing to, to be pulled upward. So we're learning that, that many birds probably have these vortices, produce these vortices along their wings, but the most spectacular birds and the birds that were studied in part to learn this are these birds called swifts. And swifts are called flying cigars by a lot of people because they look like little cigars, but with these jet fighter wings. Studying swift wings allowed scientists to understand that wings are much more complex um, flight structures than we thought, but that those flight structures, um, they're proposing that most birds sort of have those vortices that are being produced along the wing surfaces. So, you know, almost daily we're finding out new things about birds and just how, how sort of super terrific they are in all sorts of ways. Um, um. This list makes my heart sore. It's the Brains Honor Roll. These are the brilliant listeners who share their fascinating questions, ideas, mystery sounds, and drawings with us. 
Ian from Managua, Nicaragua, Chabi from Rochester Hills, Michigan, Makaya from Rockville, Maryland, Jordan and Eli from Hanfield, New Jersey, Isla from Mechanicsville, Virginia, Oscar from California, Luca from Arrowall Bay, Australia, Jesse from London, Zora Piper from Berlin, Carmen from Cardiff, Wales, Jack from Mawa, New Jersey, David from Pasadena, Maryland, Mirabella and Cameron from Niskayuna, New York, Ethan and Johanna from Des Moines, Ashkin from San Diego, Ariane from San Rafael, California, Frankie, Maddie, Ben and Emma from Huntingtown, Maryland, Curran and Koi from Kapa'a, Hawaii, Hunter and Peyton from Martin, Michigan, Vera from Fort Collins, Colorado, Maya from Orofino, Idaho, Tara from Houston, Tessa from Ottawa, Isabella from San Clemente, California, Zoe from Bel Air, Florida, Luke from Hong Kong, Ella and Tamar from Sunnyvale, California, Noah from Atlanta, Kate from Golden, Colorado, Vera from Seattle, Sadie from Seattle, Raina, Harper and Remington from Virginia Beach, Virginia, Iris from Victoria, British Columbia, Shelby and Abigail from Thousand Oaks, California, Liam from Oakville, Ontario, Isabella and Matthew from Cristobal, Texas, Maxwell from Dexter, Michigan, Liv from Duluth, Minnesota, Bella from Alpha, Minnesota, Julia from Denver, Hayden from Dallas, Jordan from San Diego, Colleen from Baraboo, Wisconsin, Asher from Greensboro, North Carolina, Katie, Sophia, and Ellie from Atlanta, Blaine from Powell, Wyoming, Aiden from Melbourne, Australia, Lily and Allie from Montreal, Sharon from Jacksonville, Florida, Maddie from Cobleskill, New York, Ava from Vancouver, Melanie from Woodbury, New Jersey, Sam from Washington, D.C., Ryland from San Francisco, Amaya and Veda from Tacoma, Washington, Effie from Dubuque, Iowa, Edith and Sylvia from Winnipeg, Manitoba, Micah and Jacob from Lexington, Massachusetts, and Brielle and Barron from Kennewick, Washington. As always, thanks for listening. We'll be back soon with more answers to your questions. Brains on.